Hey, listener, we care about you in the Grace Story community, so we just wanted to let you know that in this episode, there is content that is potentially disturbing for some listeners, including death, loss, and in this episode, the active processing of that loss. Just wanted to let you know that right before we get started. One of the unique things about my story is that I probably already lived the worst day of my life. And God was there and he was right beside me and he picked me up and he began to put my life back together. When we stopped spinning, I called out, Jacinda, are you okay? And there was no response. And all of a sudden it dawned on me what the possible outcome of this had been. It could have been the end. Um, I'll just be blunt with you. I I was headed down, I, I could have been headed down a path of mental breakdown and or suicide. I was at the bottom, I was desperate. I. You know, from that moment when I first saw her in the vehicle, it was like somebody had just pulled the floor out from under me and I was in free fall. I reached the end of the road down to the water and it was at that point that God spoke to me and he asked me a strange question. He said, Paul, why do you keep saying my name? I didn't even think about it. I just blurted out because of all I know it represents and because it's all I have. And God responded and he said, exactly. He said, you know that I will never leave you nor forsake you. You know that I'm the friend that sticks closer than a brother. You know that when you call on my name, I will answer. And that became the first step in the recovery process, God said, I'm here and you can trust me. That was the first of what what became 10 steps of recovery. I'd been in free fall and I landed and what I landed on was the everlasting arms of God that picked me up and started putting me back together and preventing me from losing my mind, preventing me from from suicidal thoughts and tendencies. And that was the first and, and a beautiful process of recovery that God himself has overseen. And uh, I'm so thankful for his faithfulness. Wow, I'm I'm listening to that and the imagery of you walking down a road, a dirt road by yourself, ending on a beach with, you know, the ocean in front of you, an opportunity to just disappear there. Um, but saying out the name of Jesus and and I love that he didn't forsake you. He, he he heard you and spoke Absolutely. to you. Absolutely. That is amazing. Absolutely. Um so you mentioned these 
these 10 steps um, or 10 topics, um, can you let me in on what that, uh, what those may be? Um, and, and I'm assuming there, there are steps along your journey of restoration. What does that look like? Yes, I, I'm happy to share these because uh, each of these 10 steps is, is a quote from what God said to me. Um, and it's just, as I look back, I'm just in awe of, of God's faithfulness, of his patience, of how loving he was. You know, I, I know from, uh, some family experiences, the importance of, of professional, uh, therapy, um, counseling. Um, and I know in many cases, that's very, a very important component of recovery. Um, but in my situation, I, I wouldn't take anything away from the importance of counseling and professional therapy. But in my situation, it's almost like God stepped alongside me and said, Paul, I'm going to walk this road with you. And uh, incidentally, one of the first God, God gave me a series of songs, um, words to songs. And the first bit of words that he gave me in those days following the accident was, and how sweetly Jesus whispers, take thy cross, thou needst not fear, for I've, I've trod the way before thee, and the glory lingers near. And uh, what he was saying to me was, I'm going to walk this path with you. And uh, so as he said, down at the waterway, uh, I'm here and you can trust me. And that was step number one. Um, step number two. Um, I had so many questions, as you can imagine. Um, I was, I was constantly <laughs> peppering God with questions and sometimes, you know, crying out to God with my questions. And one of the first questions was, why did I have to see her? Um, because I was so traumatized by the picture in my mind. And to this day, honestly, I have flashbacks of that picture and I remember I, I was walking in my community early one morning, just a few days after the accident. And I started walking in the mornings and that was my, that was my time with God. We, we just had conversation, literal conversation where I talked to him and he talked to me and I wouldn't trade those times for anything in the world. But I was on this particular morning, just a few days later, I was asking him why, Lord, why did you let me see her? It's what I see when I close my eyes, when I go to bed at night. Um, it's what I see when I look at a picture of her, I'll see her beautiful smile. And then all of a sudden I have a flash of that, that horrible picture in my mind. And, and I asked God over and over and finally he answered me. And, uh, again, almost audibly, it wasn't audible, but it was as real as though it were. And he said, I gave you a gift. And I said, what, <laughs> uh, what do you mean? You gave me a gift. And God said, I gave you a gift. He said, son, it sometimes takes medical professionals a while to pronounce a person dead. And he said, if you had been hustled off into that ambulance and taken to the emergency room without knowing, for sure that she had passed away, you would have been torn with anxiety. You would have been 
absolutely an upheaval, wondering, is she in pain? Is she calling for me? Is she wondering where I am? Why can't I be with her? And God said, I let you see a glimpse of her so that you instantly knew that she had passed away. And furthermore, he said, I gave you a gift in that what you saw helped you know that she had died instantly. She didn't have any pain. She didn't have any fear. There was no suffering. She had been asleep and she literally woke up in the arms of Jesus. And I'll never forget. I stood right in the middle of the road. I st I'd stopped walking and I stood right in the middle of the road and I just wept. And if, if the neighbors had seen me, they would have probably called the cops and said, there's a nutcase out here. But I just stood there and wept and praised and thanked God because I said, yes, Lord, you did give me a gift. And, you know, Satan had been using this question in my mind to doubt the goodness of God, to question God. How could you let this happen to me? How could you let me live with this picture? And God said, I knew what I was doing all along. And that was... That was step two. And uh, then a few days and a lot of prayers later, <laughs> um, I was still just wrestling with this idea of, of God being in control. And yet this, this crazy accident had happened. And it seemed like my, my world, my plans, my dreams, my hopes, everything I lived for had just shattered and uh, I couldn't, I couldn't see any, any reason to live, anything to live for, anything to dream about or to aspire to. And it looked like all the happiness was gone out of life. And, uh, and God tapped me on the shoulder and he said, Paul, this was not an accident. This was my plan. And that was such a shocking moment for me just to hear God say that. Um, it was a liberating moment in a sense, because up to that point, I, I had been completely blaming myself. I'm the one who fell asleep. I'm the one who uh, had the accident that took her life. And yet now God is telling me this was not an accident. This was my plan. But then of course that, that raised the question, well, how could you let this happen? If this was your plan, how, how Lord, we, we were married you know, just over a year and, you know, we both waited for so long and it was such a beautiful courtship and marriage and, and now it's over. Um, but God said, this was my plan and I'm going to use this in ways that you can't even imagine. And that was, that was an, an awesome moment um, because there was a certain surrender in that to accept that. Yes, it was liberating on one hand, but on the other hand, it raised all these questions and I had to accept that and embrace that and say, okay, Lord, I submit to your plan. And even if it means I live the rest of my life alone uh, without the love of my life. And, and that was an important step. And then the next step came, step number four came a few days later, um, sometime later. I was walking down the street in one of those morning prayer times and just wrestling with all of these thoughts. And I looked down on the sidewalk and 
in the crack in the sidewalk, there was a little tuft of flowers blooming. And it immediately brought a song to my mind. And the song said, thank you for the valley I walked through the day. The darker the valley, the more I learned to pray. Thank you for the lilies blooming by the way. Thank you for the valley I walked through today. Now that sounds wonderful, but I actually hated that song. <laughs> and the reason I did is because uh, during a very dark time in our family's life, when my, my mother had had a nervous breakdown, um, that was a song that had become associated with those traumatic events in her life and in our lives. And I hated that song because it conjured up so many memories. And I thought to myself, why am I thinking of that song? That's the last thing I want to be thinking about. And all of a sudden, God spoke to me again. And he said, Paul, can you thank me? Can you thank me for taking Jacinda? And at that point, I became like a little kid who has been told by a parent to do something that he doesn't want to do. And any of you out there listening who are parents will understand this. Uh, when you tell that child to go do something they don't want to do, they will try to distract you. Uh, they'll say, I love you, daddy. Uh, here, daddy, here's a flower I picked for you. You know, do anything they possibly can do to distract you, um, they will do. And that's what I began to do. Um, I began to have panic rise inside me because I knew that I could not thank God. I could not. I, I just, I was incapable of thanking God for taking Jacinda. And so I began, I resumed walking and I began saying, Lord, I love you and I praise you. I praise you for Calvary. I praise you for the cross. I praise you for the blood that was shed. I praise you for sending your only son. And I began to thank and praise God for everything I could possibly think of. And as I did, I felt God's presence. Tears rolled down my face. I felt my heart warmed. But God would tap me on the shoulder and would say, but can you thank me? And I remember I would, I would go back into praise mode and I would start surrendering things and say, Lord, I, I, I surrender to your will, you know, all of this stuff. And then God tapped me on the shoulder again. Can you thank me? And for about an hour, I wrestled with this. And it, it, it reminds me of the biblical account of Jacob wrestling with what we believe to be the pre-incarnate Christ. Um, it was a wrestling match and not because I didn't want to do God's will. I wanted to, I couldn't. And I remember reaching a point where I said, Lord, the only way I can do that is if you give me the grace. And I began to sense God just pouring his grace into my soul. And I'll never forget, very deliberately, very slowly, very distinctly, I formed those words. And I said, Lord, thank you for taking Jacinda when and how you did. You took her gently. You took her lovingly with no pain and no fear. And now you're using this in ways that I can't even imagine. Our tech guys told us that approximately 50,000 people watched her funerals, the two funerals online. Wow. And I couldn't even fathom that. And, uh, 
and and I said, Lord, you're using it, and I I thank you. And it was kind of like I I mean, not to sound overly grand because I know. I'm so minuscule in comparison to Abraham, but I think of Abraham offering Isaac, his only son as a sacrifice. And that's kind of the way it felt in my little world for me, even though I had no control over the accident, just for me to embrace it at that level and say, thank you for doing this. That was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. But I'm telling you when I did say yes, God flooded me with his presence. I've never felt his presence like I did in that moment. And I just had such a strong witness of his spirit that I, I was right with God, that I was in the center of his will. It was only by his grace. It's no credit to me. I was being dead serious when I said, Lord, I can't do this. And he gave me the grace. And that was the fourth step in the recovery process. Well, and the fifth, just just before you move into that fifth step, I'm hearing, um, you you know, you're, you're taking these daily walks, you're, you're talking with God. Um, how else are you remembering these things and processing them? Because I mean, you're very eloquent. I know that, but these, these memories and uh, of your processing are very, very clear. Is there other things that you're doing with this, uh, writing them down, typing them, uh, talking about them with someone um, to remember them? Um, is there something else you're doing as well uh, uh, along with these steps? Well, it's, it's interesting that you asked that because, you know, this fourth step spoke of impact, you know, uh, how God was using this. And one of the things that God uh, sort of prompted me to do was to start writing on Facebook, um, writing on social media about my experiences. And that was really the last thing I wanted to do. Um, I'm not the kind of person that has ever just spilled my guts on Facebook, you know, and told all of my innermost thoughts. I've never, ever been that kind of person. And I've never particularly liked that kind of post. Um, but God began prompting me to share my experiences Um, now never woe is me posts. Yes, I was honest. Uh, I shared my struggles, but I always tried to point people to Christ and say, look at what God is doing. Look at how he is helping. And I was astounded by the, by the results. I made these posts public so that anyone could see them. And, um, first of all, the initial post uh, announcing that the accident had occurred, uh, was placed on the Hope Sound Bible College Facebook page. And the reach of that, the last time I saw was over 225,000 people. And then my posts started getting a thousand, sometimes 2000, uh, responses, uh, you know, emojis, likes, comments, all kinds of responses and, and people started messaging me and, and asking me questions and people started asking for my prayer. And I, I thought to myself, you know, how can I be helping anyone else right now? I'm in the middle of this situation. And, and all of a sudden God said to me, this is part of how I'm going to use this situation to touch other people. And from that day until this, I've had just a steady stream of people reaching out to me, uh, phone calls, text messages, Facebook messages, emails, in person, um, 
and I've, I've been able to share, I've been able to pray with people and it's been a beautiful thing. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. So, uh, the impact carries on that, but that, that actually ended up my Facebook posts ended up almost being like a journal and it was therapeutic to, uh, to share that stuff. But, uh, I just pray that it continues. Let me just quickly share one story. Um, a friend of mine shared a scenario, uh, where she had a mutual friend who was a missionary. I did not know this missionary. Um, but the missionary was on the other side of the globe in a communist country. And, uh, that missionary was working with two couples. Um, neither of them were Christians, neither couple. And one of them was in the midst of a divorce. And, um, this missionary, our mutual friend shared my posts with her and she began sharing my posts with these couples and shared our story. And they were so moved that they were moved to seek the Lord. And the couple that was, uh, in the midst of a divorce process actually called off their divorce. And to my knowledge reconciled and are together today. And that's just one of many, many, many stories of the way God has used this to, to touch people. It's just, it continues to boggle my mind. Um, the impact. Well, and just before we jump into that, the fifth one there, how did that, hearing about that impact, um, it's obviously a positive on you, but how much of a positive was that for you to, to spur you forward? It was helpful to me personally, uh, just to, just to share, uh, even though I didn't enjoy doing it and I would dread it. I would get up in the morning and feel like I have something I should post about, but I, I really don't want to, and the Lord would help me to do it. Um, but then the, the very kind comments, you know, were, were helpful people saying we're praying for you and all of that. But I guess the, the deepest benefit that it gave me was it began to form a purpose in all of this in my mind. And actually what, what sort of launched that, um, there's a gentleman who's a, a good friend of, uh, our families, both of our families, Larry Grile, he, he's been a Bible teacher and Bible colleges for many years. And uh, he actually prayed at Jacinda's funeral in Indiana and prayed at her graveside. And later we went to uh, a meal and he pulled me aside at that meal. And he's just a wonderful, he's a saint, you know, a wonderful man of God, elderly. And he pulled me aside and he said, Paul, he said, there's a purpose in all of this. And he said, I've been preaching uh, from the book of Job in my church. And he said, it's so interesting because Job was well known. You know, a lot of people knew about him and they, they heard the story of his tragic fall, um, the loss of his children, the loss of his possessions, the loss of his health. And here he is on the ash heap out at the edge of town and people all across the country hearing about this. And he said, God used that notoriety uh, to make an example of him in the midst of suffering. And then he restored, he restored him. He restored uh, his health. He restored uh, family and possessions to him. And he said, you know, ironically, I'm teaching from the book of Job in my church. And you and I are talking about it right now, all these years later. And he said on a smaller scale, he said, God allowed 
your story, the story of you and Jacinda to become well-known. A lot of people followed your wedding and, and now many, many, many people have watched these funerals. And he said, God is using this story to show a beautiful example of his grace that will help other hurting people to have hope and to see a path forward for healing. And uh, in some cases, even salvation, people have gotten saved. I could just tell you stories all night, but uh, it just continues to boggle my mind what God has done through all of this. Well, and and I hope those stories do, I'm I'm sure they will, they'll continue. Uh, But let's jump back in with that fifth, that fifth step. Sure. So just to briefly recap, the first, first thing God said was I'm here and you can trust me. Second was I gave you a gift. Uh, thirdly, he said this was not an accident. And then he asked me the question, can you thank me? And then the fifth, uh, I was once again walking in one of those early morning prayer times. And I said, Lord, okay, I, I understand you're here. I trust you. Um, I understand that you, why you let me see here. I understand that this is not an accident. This is your plan. And again, Lord, I thank you for working out your plan in our lives, but Lord, why, 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 why did it have to be my fault? You know, why couldn't it have been someone else's mistake? Why couldn't it have been, you know, something in the road, you know, a blowout, you know, anything, anything, but my fault. Why did it have to be my fault? If this was your plan, you know, how much I loved her more than life itself. Um, And once again, God was so patient with my questions. And I asked that question again and again and again. God didn't immediately answer me. Um, But after multiple, multiple questionings, all of a sudden God answered. And he said, Paul, I let it be your fault. Because if it had been someone or something else, you would have become angry. And that would have put you in a place where I couldn't help you. You would have been angry with the other person or angry with me for allowing this to happen. But as it was, I let it be your fault. And you blamed yourself and you cast yourself on my mercy. And that put you in a place where I could help you. And that hit me like a ton of bricks because I knew instantly, I knew that that was so true. I knew if it had been some freak accident beyond my control that I would have been angry at God. And as it was, I've never had a moment's anger toward God. I was blaming myself and cast myself on his mercy. And, and that's when he came in and picked me up and began to put me back together. And so I, even today, I just rejoice, rejoice in the goodness of God, um, allowing it to be my fault. You know, his plan is perfect. And that was step number five. And then uh, number six, I was having my devotions, reading the Bible. And I was actually reading in the book of Esther. And it didn't really even occur to me uh, that that was the book that God had used back on that New Year's Eve 2017 to bring her to a place of radical abandonment to the will of God. It didn't even register, but I was reading the book of Esther 
And I came down to that verse that said, maybe you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And all of a sudden, God said, mission accomplished. God said, that is why I placed Jacinda on this earth. I placed her on this earth to become a teacher, to get involved in the lives of students, um, to become a beautiful, shining example of an attractive, uh, holy woman, you know, who, who looked like a Christian, you know, she was modest. She was, she was never arrogant. That was one of her charms. She was so beautiful. I mean, if you see pictures of her, she was absolutely a knockout. She was homecoming princess in her public high school. Um, but yet she was modest and, and innocent and completely oblivious to her beauty. You know, God allowed her to be a beautiful person that sort of captivated people's imagination. And then God allowed her to marry this old bachelor (laughs) after all these years. And people were so curious. I mean, about 700 people attended our wedding and uh, many more watched online and many thousands watched online. And um, so God allowed her to capture the imaginations of many people across the country. And then he took her. And it was jarring to people. It was traumatizing to people. I had people who told me uh, they left work, you know, and went home and were in tears and people couldn't sleep at night. And I mean, it affected people in profound ways. And yet it pointed them to Jesus. It, it caused them to be reminded of how fragile life is. And, and uh, it, it, it has helped marriages. I've had people tell me, you know, our marriage was struggling and God used this accident to help us remember what's really important in life. And we've been reconciling as a couple, you know, and it just blows my mind. Um, but God said so definitely in that moment, he said, this was her mission. And I'm using this in ways you can't even imagine. Mission accomplished. And I just got this vision in my mind, not not some mystical vision, but just a sort of a, a picture in my mind of her entering the pearly gates and hearing those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Um, your mission is accomplished. Wow. And what a beautiful, beautiful thought. Well, and it sounds like in your your next step, you know, the, the previous ones, uh, just the last two were about you and her, and then he shifted your attention back to him again in a way yes. in your relationship in that next step. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, and all through this, um, my eyes were turned to Jesus, you know, and, and that's been my healing, you know, that song that says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look yeah. full in his wonderful face. The mm-hmm. things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's so true. And when this world becomes such a painful and awful and horrible place due to circumstances such as these, you can turn your eyes on Jesus and you can find healing and hope. And uh, so, yes, you're absolutely right. Step number seven uh, was was a very interesting, interesting thing that developed. Um, a very close friend of mine, Joel Vion, a fellow teacher, uh, who works at Hope Sound. He and I get together about every week and we have sort of a, uh, almost like a parent accountability relationship. We encourage one another. And he had gone to a teacher's convention in Orlando. And at that convention, one of the speakers was a pastor, 
uh, of a large church in another state. And this pastor had a brother who also had been a pastor. He was an older brother and he had kind of been his mentor and, uh, he had gone, um, to the islands, uh, Pacific islands to pastor. And he was older, kind of like I had been a bachelor and in his new ministry, he found a beautiful young girl and absolutely fell head over heels in love with her, just like I had with Jacinda. And they got married and just sort of had a fairy tale wedding and relationship. And uh, on one occasion, they were hiking, hiking up a mountain, and they were looking at a waterfall. And uh, long story short, his wife ended up falling and landing on the rocks below. And um, he scurried down there and held her in his arms until the helicopter came and she was life flighted. And they actually were able to stabilize her and she seemed to be recovering. And then abruptly, um, a few weeks after that incident, she died. And, um, he, he was just absolutely shattered and he went on a long trip after she passed away and he had gotten a, an insurance policy, life insurance policy. And he went on a long trip seeking happiness and seeking a, a way to recover and to somehow find meaning in life and find healing. And uh, he mentioned that he and his wife had watched the movie Romeo and Juliet. And uh, obviously, you know, the ending to that story. And when they had watched this movie afterward, they were, talking and crying together. And they said, what a sad ending. And, and they started talking about hypotheticals, you know, what would happen, um, if, if one of us were to die and, uh, his wife had said, you know, if, if he had just spent a certain amount of time, they would have known that it wasn't the end and they would have, you know, there could have been a recovery. And so he went on this trip and for that designated amount of time and began traveling the world seeking happiness. And he, 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 uh, had a vlog, um, of his experiences during this trip. And on this particular occasion, I couldn't sleep one night and this is not a smart thing to do, especially when you're grieving and you've been through trauma. But I started watching this guy's vlog and watching these videos and the way it ended was, uh, the guy actually committed suicide and he said, I know what I'm doing. He gave this message to his family, said, I know what I'm doing. He said, uh, I'm not crazy, but he said, you just don't understand. He said, I loved her so much and I can't live without her. And uh, my life has to end. My earthly life has to end. And as I put my phone away, having watched this video, God began talking to me and God said, you know, the irony of that situation is that he didn't honor her memory by doing what he did. He just caused more pain by committing suicide. Now, I'm fully aware that there are, there are people who commit suicide who are not in their right mind. And, and I've had friends who have been in that position. And, and I believe there are cases where people are not responsible for their actions. But this guy made it very clear. He said, this is a calculated decision. I know what I'm doing. 
And, uh, and God spoke to me and he said, not only did he not honor her memory, but he said, um, he separated himself from her for eternity. And God said, the reason he did that is because he loved her more than me and he made her an idol. And as soon as God said that, my mind went back to an experience that Jacinda and I had when we were dating. Uh, we, we had walked down to the beach. It was a beautiful moonlight, uh, moonlit night. And we stood there on the beach. And I remember kissing her and saying, I love you. But then I don't even know why I said it. It just popped out. I said, but I just want you to know that I love God more. And Jacinda looked at me with the look I'll never forget. And she got tears in her eyes and she said, you know, my mother told me that you'll know that you have the right one when you have someone who loves God more than you. Well, I'm sitting there in my bedroom, can't sleep. I've just watched this very disconcerting video, very tragic video. And God said to me, do you love me more? And that was a very profound moment for me because it was a very probing question. And I did a lot of soul searching right in that moment. And I remember God once again, pouring his grace into me. And I just responded, yes, 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 Lord, I love you more. And I surrender this to you. And Lord, by your grace, I will not walk down this path of selfishness. Um, I will devote the rest of my life to honoring her memory and fulfilling your purpose in all of this because I love you more. And that was a very, very important moment of commitment for me and a very important moment of recovery, solidifying the direction of my life going forward, committing myself uh, to saying, I love you more. And that was very important. The next step, um, I, was, I was listening to a song and music is a very important part of my life. I've already mentioned that God gave me a number of songs. Uh, one of the songs that God gave me that I listened to over and over and over again was all the way my savior leads me. What have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercies who through life has been my guide, heavenly peace, divinest comfort here by faith in him to dwell for I know whatever befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. And so many of those wonderful old hymns that I had, grown up singing and memorized as a child, just came back uh, just at the right time. God used them in such profound ways. But one of the things that I, I couldn't do was I couldn't listen to love songs. Jacinda and I had some select love songs that had been our songs, so to speak, in our dating relationship. And I, I simply didn't have the strength to listen to those but I remember I was in a setting where the music that was playing over the sound system was beyond my control. And there was a song playing um, that talked about living happily ever after and uh, being happy right down to your last moment. And 
I remember just like a sucker punch, just like a, a kick to the gut, so to speak of thinking, well, our relationship was so short lived. <laughs> it didn't last long at all. Um, a matter of months. And I guess that dream fell through. And all of a sudden God spoke to me right then and there. And he said, Paul, he said, Jacinda was happier than she had ever been in her life that last day. And I can't tell you what that did to me to hear God say that. And I knew that, you know, there was nothing between us. There, there was no unfinished business. There were no hard feelings. Uh, there would have been nothing for us to ask forgiveness for um, had we known what was coming. Uh, we were just totally in love <laughs> and enjoying each other's company. And I was on my way to surprising her with a, a birthday gift. I was taking her to a mansion and little did I know that God was taking her to a mansion far greater than anything this earth has to offer. And, uh, in that moment, God said to me, son, well done. Uh, not only was her mission accomplished, but I gave you the grace and the help to bring her true earthly happiness. And, oh, what a gift that was that, you know, after all those feelings of guilt, after all of those traumatics, you know, traumatic feelings of, uh, you know, this is my fault. God said, well done. And to hear those words from him, uh, just poured healing into my soul. And I can't even describe it. Wow. Well, I love, I love the so. imagery of, of, of the mansions. Um, because I mean, God has bigger plans than, than we ever even can think or imagine. Um, I just love that. And and then your next step here, um, it kind of goes back to you again. Um, but the, I'll give you myself. What, what does that entail? Uh, the thought process there, you know, that that's a very, that's a very interesting one. Um, I attended a wedding and, uh, that was just this past summer, you know, all these steps, you know, took time or over the course of time. And it's been just over a year since, since Jacinda's death, it was, um, November 22nd and, uh, was the anniversary. And so here we are in the new year and uh, just a little beyond a year, but this past summer, um, I attended the wedding of Jacinda's cousin and I was really struggling because I was so happy for them. They're just one of those couples that just radiated love. And I could relate to that because that's the way we were. They're one of those couples that knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that, that their relationship was God's will. And I was so happy for them uh, just from, from the depths of my soul, because I could, I could relate, but yet I was dreading that wedding. You know, I really wanted to be there. They'd asked me to do some music and I was honored to be there. It was family only because it was during the COVID pandemic, you know? And so I was very honored to be there, but, but I was really struggling because I knew that I was going to struggle with my emotions. And I thought here I am surrounded by family. And if I start crying, I'm going to detract attention away from this couple. This is their day. This is a beautiful wedding, beautiful marriage. And I don't want to be a spectacle. I don't want to do anything 
to bring tears to that moment and to bring sadness. And so I purposely went out um, to the cemetery that morning and I spent a long time there at the grave. I wept, I prayed, I, uh, I talked to Jacinda, even though I, you know, didn't really think she was probably hearing me, but, <laughs> but, uh, and by the way, I, I have to insert this because this is so meaningful. The first time I went to visit the cemetery after, after the funeral and the burial, I remember typing the address into my GPS and starting to drive out in that direction. And as I typed that, that address into the GPS, God spoke to me and he said, this is not her address. Mm. And I was just so, so touched by that because I thought, wow, you are so right, Lord, this is not her address. Her earthly body may be resting there in, in this beautiful, peaceful family cemetery that goes back four generations, but this is not her address. And, uh, and so that touched me so much, but, uh, anyhow, I went out to the cemetery. I cried, I prayed, I spent a lot of time and I, my, my hope was that I would sort of get it all out, you know, get all the emotion out so that by the time I got to the wedding, uh, I wouldn't have any tears left and wouldn't make a spectacle of myself. And the Lord helped me all through the ceremony. I smiled. I was happy until <laughs> the bride and groom sang to each other. And they sang a song that is derived from the passage that I quoted at the beginning. Delight thyself also in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Um, they sang, I delighted in the Lord and he gave me you. You were the desire of my heart. You're the reason I believe his word is true. I delighted in the Lord and he gave me you. And as I sat there in my pew, the tears started flowing. I could not stop them. And I, I'm the kind of guy that the thoughts have to connect in a logical chain. And as I sat there, it was like the strands of thought were just dangling and flapping in the wind. Um, because I, I thought to myself, Yes, I delighted in the Lord and he gave me Jacinda. Jacinda delighted in the Lord and he gave me to her. He gave us each other. But then, Lord, you took her away. And even with all of those wonderful words that God had spoken, with all the help that he had given, I was just really wrestling with that as I sat there crying and becoming a spectacle. And... All of a sudden, God spoke to me right there in the middle of that wedding. And God said, yes, you delighted in me and I gave you Jacinda. She delighted in me and I gave you to her. I gave you each other. But what Jacinda didn't know was that her ultimate desire was not for you. Her ultimate desire was for me. I was the source of your happiness. I was the one who wrote your story. I was the source of all of the love and all of the joy. And now she's with me and I'm giving her myself. I am fulfilling an even deeper desire that she didn't even fully comprehend. And I'm giving her myself. And I was, <laughs> once again, I was so blown away by what God had said, but, but even more, I then then God 
continued. He, 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 he said, but furthermore, Paul, he said, you have that same desire that she had, that even deeper desire for me. And he said, since I took Jacinda away, I have been giving you myself like never before. And so, Paul, you can, you can apply this song to your relationship with me. You've delighted yourself in me, and now I'm giving you myself. And so, actually, that's what I had inscribed on the tombstone, on Jacinda's grave. He gave us each other. Now he gives us himself. And I, I'm telling you, in his presence is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures evermore. And yes, I miss her so much. <laughs> but um, I have the presence of God like never before. And what a gift that is. And, you know, one of the neat things is I know that she's in his presence. And so whenever I come into his presence, um, we're not so far away. <laughs> we're both in his presence and I, I have to insert this little anecdote as well. Several days after the accident, I was, I was really struggling. And I, I remember saying to the Lord, Lord, please tell her that I love her because after she died, I realized I loved her so much deeper than I ever comprehended before she died. And so, you know, the love would just overflow and I would say, Lord, tell her I love her. And when I uttered those words, Satan crawled up on my shoulder and he said, she doesn't care. She's not thinking about you. You're not even on her radar screen. She's in heaven. She's with Jesus. She doesn't even think about you at all. And that was very crushing. Um, I have no idea what what the scenario is after we die. I mean, I, I believe everything the Bible says, but there are a lot of things the Bible doesn't say. And the Bible doesn't tell us if they can see us, if they think about us. And so I guess I just sort of listened to the devil at that point. And I, I said, well, that's probably true. And I was just in despair. <laughs> and a few moments later, less than an hour later, uh, Jacinda's uncle texted me and we don't text that much, uh, Jonathan Walden. And he texted me and he, he said, Paul, he said, I dreamed last night about Jacinda. And he said, in my dream, I saw her on her knees and she was praying for you. And I'm not a signs and wonders kind of guy. I, I've, I've never put much stock when people say, you know, I had this dream or this vision and God showed me this or that. And I, and I tend to say, let's go read the Bible. Sure, sure. <laughs> but if ever God used something to lift my spirits, God used that. And uh, that was just one of the many, many instances of God giving me himself. And uh, so that was, that was number nine. Wow. And, and as you're going through these, I'm noticing, you know, that, there's the accident, there's, there's fault. Um, there's some things that you've had to wrestle with, as you mentioned for, you know, putting yourself down and, and feeling guilty, but then we come to this last one and, and well, I'll, I'll let you, you say it, but it, it seems to, to go with all that, uh, all that baggage. Absolutely. And 
I have to say that even though this is number 10 and it's the one I, I close with today, um, God is still teaching me so many things and still doing so many things. I'm just amazed. Um, but, but this last one is very special. Um, it's sort of the capstone of all of these steps that God has, has led me down. Um, one of the aspects that I haven't talked about yet is the legal aspect of the accident. Um, when there is an accident and you're, and you're at fault, there are legal implications, obviously. When there's a fatality in an accident, there are even more serious implications. And God sent the most wonderful state trooper uh, to the scene of the accident. The man was a believer in Jesus and was so kind, so, so kind and so gentle with me. Um, in that moment, uh, a rough, uncaring police officer could have done serious damage to my my mental state, but he was just the right person. And God sent him. I believe it with all my heart, but he did, he did warn me. He said, uh, now Paul, I have to tell you that there will be legal implications. Um, he said, according to the laws of the state of Florida, there will be a mandatory suspension of your license for a minimum of six months. And there will be a minimum $1,000 fine. And, uh, I do have to pause here and tell you that God miraculously uh, covered the expenses of the funeral. We had two funerals. Um, there was transportation involved. There was the reconstruction. Um, God sent in money from friends, from unexpected sources. Um, he supplied the need. It turned out there was an unexpected um, benefit on our car insurance that we didn't even know about that covered a portion. And long story short, um, I don't know a dime. Jonathan and Larie Edwards, her parents had a, a life insurance policy that they had forgotten about on Jacinda. And that helped cover the cost of the Indiana funeral and the, uh, the cemetery plot. And uh, it just, it's just miraculous how God, covered those expenses. Um, but the officer said, your fine could be more than a thousand dollars and your suspension could be longer than six months. And I'm thinking, I represent a college. I, I, I drive for a living. What, what am I going to do? You know, how, I don't know. <laughs> and of course, early on, I was just so steeped in all of these emotions and thoughts. I, I really wasn't thinking much about the legal implications, but as time went on, I thought more and more about it and, and was concerned about it, deeply concerned about it. And uh, I knew that I was going to have to go to court and I was going to have to plead guilty uh, to the death of my wife. Mm. And just the thought of that was traumatizing. And um, it was interesting because for a very long time, I did not receive a citation. Um, I did not receive a citation at the scene of the accident. I received an information exchange document and uh, I ended up having to get an accident report from the state trooper's office up in Fort Pierce, and that was for the insurance company to process the claim and the car insurance company. And so I went up there, and they asked me for the citation, and I said, I don't have a citation. And the ladies in the office, they looked at me like I was nuts, and they said, 
you don't have a citation? I said, no. I said, all I have is this document. And I handed them the information exchange document. And they said, well, this is not a citation. And they said, we can't believe you. You don't have a citation. And I said, well, it's been months now. And I think by that time it had been about three months. And they said, well, that's very strange. Well, I walked out of there thinking, well, what's going on? You know, I don't know um, what's up here and am I off the hook or, uh, you know, what's, what's happening? Well, God knew that at that time I was, I was processing other things and, um, I didn't need to be worrying about this legal act angle aspect of the, of the situation. And so I kind of put it out of my mind for a while. And then one day I got a knock at the door and there was a sheriff's deputy and he handed me a citation (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, he said, you'll have a court date and, and so on. And, uh, all of a sudden it settled down on me. Well, you're going to have to deal with this after all. And, uh, so I called a lawyer friend and actually I called two lawyer friends, uh, very, very kind, kind gentlemen. Um, one was the our state senator and a very busy man. And he, he dropped, dropped what he was doing and spent a long time talking with me, counseling me for free and, and said, I'll be glad to help you pursue this. The other lawyer friend, um, dropped what he was doing, came right to my house. The minute he heard and sat down with me and, and, uh, walked me through the process. He said, I'm going to go to court with you. He said, I'm not going to charge you a penny. He said, I'll walk into that courtroom with you. And, um, I thanked him. I was very touched. And, uh, but as time went on, God began to speak to me and God said, I want you to do this alone. And I thought, seriously, (laughs) my dad kept asking me, when's your court date? I want to go with you and support you. And God kept saying, I want you to do this alone. And I was mystified. I thought, man, a lawyer friend says he's going to go with me for free and try to help me out. I, how can I turn that down? But ultimately I, I felt compelled and I called my lawyer friend and I said, um, this is going to sound weird, but God's telling me I need to go to court by myself. And, uh, he said, I understand. Hmm. And he said, I'll be praying for you. And he said, I'm here if you need me. And I said, okay. And I said the same thing to my dad. I said, I feel like I need to go by myself. So I went to court and on that first occasion, um, it was an arraignment and the judge asked me how I pled and I had tears in my eyes. I, I couldn't help it. I said, uh, well, I said, I, I, I couldn't bring myself to say not guilty. And I did have some questions about the driver of the semi, you know, I didn't think he was going the legal minimum speed. And if he had been probably the accident would have been less severe. And so I thought, well, I'll plead no contest. And so I pled no contest. And, uh, the judge said, uh, I want to hear more about this case. I want you to come back. And she set a new court date and I said, okay. And I was kind of dejected at that point because I thought, Oh, now we have to go through this again. And so, (laughs) so I went home and, and I went, I left for the summer to travel for the college, um, doing some PR representation and I got home and I knew this state was hanging over my head. And so I, I went to court on the appointed date and my lawyer friend, meanwhile, had told me, he said, Paul, he said, 
you know, the minimum sentence is six months suspension and thousand dollar fine. He said, the judge may give you more than that because this is a fatality and they, they crack down on these things. And, uh, well, that wasn't what I wanted to hear, but I knew it was what I needed to hear from him. He needed to give me the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. But he said, uh, he said, you know, your best case scenario is if the, the police officer doesn't show up to the, the court date, because he said, if, if he doesn't, he said, under Florida law, you can ask for a dismissal due to lack of prosecution. And so I thought, well, maybe this is what the Lord's going to do because I felt like the Lord was, was giving me assurance. You go at this by yourself and I'm going to help you. I'm going to take care of this. So I went up there and uh, I was sitting in the hall outside the courtroom waiting for the, the, um, the proceedings to begin and the door at the end of the hall opened and to my sadness and walked the state trooper. And uh, my lawyer had said, he will basically serve as your prosecutor, your prosecuting attorney, even though he's not an attorney. And uh, so I saw him and I smiled at him and he was very kind. And he, the first question he asked me was, how are you doing? And, and he said, I've been thinking a lot about you. And then he asked me, he said, he said, why are you here? And I said, well, the judge said that she wanted to hear more about this case. And so that's why I'm here. That's the only reason I'm here. And he said, well, are you going to try to plead not guilty? And I said, no, I, I'll plead no contest. He said, well, that's, he said, that's reasonable because he said, we have the black box from the vehicle you were driving. And, and he said, we can map out exactly what happened. And we know that, that you braked right before impact. And so you were at fault. And I said, well, my only question is about the speed of the semi. And he said, well, we can't, we can't state that for sure because there was no, no black box on that semi. But he said, we know that basically you were at fault. And I said, well, that's fine. I said, I'll, I'll plead no contest and uh, just leave it in the Lord's hands. And he said, okay. And so we walked into the courtroom and he went over to the prosecutor's box and I was standing in the witness box. And the judge said, how do you plead? And I said, I plead no contest. And she said, you realize that the minimum sentence here is six month license suspension and a thousand dollar fine. And I said, yes, your honor, I realized that. But I said, I fell asleep. I said, that's the simple fact. And my wife died in the accident. And I said, I plead no contest. And she looked at the police officer and she said, do you have anything to say? And the police officer stood up. And he stepped out of the prosecutor's box and he came over to the witness box and he stood right beside me, shoulder to shoulder. And he said, your honor, he said, I understand that this man was at fault, but he said, I want to tell you, he's been a perfect gentleman. And he said, I would like to point out that everything he said was honest. And he also was a victim in this situation. And he said, I'm asking you to do what you can for him. And in that moment, I got this beautiful picture of my prosecutor becoming my defender. And all of a sudden I realized (laughs) if I had gone in there with a lawyer or even maybe my dad, that probably wouldn't have happened. But because I was alone and vulnerable, my prosecutor became my defender. And I thought of, of Jesus 
<laughs> Jesus, whose holiness, you know, cries out against us. We're guilty sinners. Um, but I think of him standing before God the Father and saying, I died for this man. I shed my blood for this man. My, his name is written on my hands. <laughs> forgive him, oh, forgive, they cry, in the words of Charles Wesley. And my prosecutor became my defender. But it didn't stop there. The judge looked at me and then looked at her clerk, who was in the cubicle next to her chair. And she said, is there anything we can do for this man? And the clerk typed a little bit on her computer and looked at the screen. And then she finally looked back at the judge and she said, you know, if we take the fatality off of the charge and we enter this as a non-fatality, we can forgo that license suspension and there will just be minimum court costs, which is $165. And the judge lowered her gavel and she said, done. <laughs> and I walked out of there and when I got to my car, all of a sudden, God spoke to me and he said, Paul, you remember back on the street when you were walking and I spoke to you and I said, this was not an accident. This was my plan. And I said, yes. And God said, I just dropped the charge. He said, I'm proving to you that this was not an accident. This was my plan. And I am absolving you of the death of Jacinda. And you want to talk about healing. I just felt healing poured into my soul from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. And I just sat there for the longest time in my car and just wept and praised God and thanked God. And uh, I don't know. I don't know where I would be without all of these things, but I can testify to you today that yes, it still hurts. Yes, I still cry every day. Yes, I miss her like you would not believe. Um, people ask me if I'm <laughs> would ever consider getting married again, and I think, no, all I want is her. <laughs> I miss her horribly. But I'm on a path of healing, and I have a sweet peace down deep in my soul. I am at rest with all of this. Um, I've embraced the will of God. And to this day, I say, Lord, thank you for working out your plan in my life. And I want to tell you something. That is not because I'm a good guy. That is not because I'm a strong guy. I was a weak guy. I was on my back. But God gave me the grace and all the glory and all the praise and all the honor goes to him. And I just thank him from the depths of my soul. Wow. Uh, I, don't, I don't think there's, it's not lost on me that uh, you've just walked us through not only the worst day and days of your life, but you've walked us through your active processing of uh, those moments. Um, and you've relived them here today. So sincerely, thank you so much. And thank you for being on this episode of, of, uh, of Grace Story Podcast. Um, it, it truly has been an honor. And uh, I, I'm so excited for you too, because as you've told your story, there's so much hope 
and there's restoration and there's a lot of God's grace in there. Um, and it's amazing to hear. So thank you for coming on the show. Well, thank you for the opportunity. And I, I felt like God wants me to walk through every door that opens for me to share the story of his grace. And I would just say to any of you today, I know there are people out there who are going through terrible circumstances. I, they jump out at me now. I didn't notice those people before a lot. I hate to say that, but it's really true. And now they just jump out at me. And uh, I just want to tell you that God can bring beauty from ashes. Um, I can't give you your steps. I can't give you your formula for healing because your situation is going to be different than mine. And um, you're going to walk a different path. But what I can tell you is that God is faithful. God is nearest when the pain is deepest. And if you'll just put your hand in his, he will lead you on a path of healing. Oh, there may be many questions. There may be struggles, doubts, frustrations. Um, you may need a lot of help along the way, but God's grace is sufficient. And I'm living proof of that today. Wow, just so much packed into these last two episodes of Grace Story Podcast. Um, and we can't say thank you to Paul enough for sharing his his journey of restoration, his story, uh, and especially those those moments um, of his processing and, and what that looked like for him. Now, we will be back in two weeks with another episode. Our next guest is going to be Don Davison, and I'm sure you won't want to miss our conversation with him as we carry on this theme of loss and grief and how we deal with that. Until then, we'll be praying for you, and we pray that you'll continue on your journey of restoration here in the Grace Story community. 